When Aaron died six months later, I was asked by, by Itzhak, we need um, we are an Orthodox community, we need to have a Kaddisha burial society. We do not have enough able-bodied men. You can help us. I said, I'm not a Jew. You're one of us. So we buried, we washed the body and during the nighttime. He died in the day before, had to be buried the next day. And they buried him and when we were standing all at this graveside, Itzhak walked towards me and said, say the Kaddish. I said, Itzhak, I'm not his family. I'm, I'm not I'm not a Jew. Said you are one of us. Don't forget. And I recited the Kaddish. And then something happened. I crossed the line. That was the line, the virtual line that I crossed from one world to the other world. And I told Itzhak, I want to become a Jew. Itzhak looked at me. Are you crazy? Is that not enough that we suffered? You can be a righteous person. Don't have to be suffering. You not wonderful man. Don't don't do it. I said I want to. I said well for that moment I have Plan B. I pay you to go to Frankfurt, meet that rabbi that I tell you. You stay in Frankfurt with the rabbi until the rabbi t- drove, dies out his crazy ideas. And then you come back. Well, it took three days for the meeting with the rabbi. He, he agreed that he would teach me, but not convert me because he said, I will not convert Germans. So every one to two months, I met him personally in between. He talked on the phone and I nudged him every time, every time that we together. I wonder when, when I'm mature enough to convert. He gave up in March, something in March 86, said, don't tell me again, don't ask me again. I will refer your case to the rabbinical court. They can handle it. But until you get there, you have to do some steps that are irrevocable and not necessarily give you the desired outcome. Like a little surgery I don't want to talk about. It's not a nose job. And it had to be done in in an Orthodox community abroad in Basel, in Switzerland, an Orthodox hospital. And six, three months later, I had to travel to Metz in France in the Hasidic community, Orthodox community, to immerse myself in a kosher mikveh, ritual bath. And then in December 1986, I just graduated from medical school the week before. I had a date with the rabbinical court, and I never forget that. It was like a court hearing. Black robes, a black hat, four rabbis sitting on the podium interrogating me, literally. And the chief rabbi after an hour said, look, let's stop everything. We know you know everything. We know you, you're a good boy. Why on earth is a German wants to become a Jew? I want to hear something that convinces me. And I convinced him. And uh, after a session that they had, I had to wait for an hour, and they asked me to stand up and read the Theodat the conversion certificate in German and then in Hebrew and then in German. And it was a very, very emotional moment. And the rabbi, chief rabbi said, look, Bernd, your name is Ben Abraham that you cannot change. But your first name, you can change. You can choose. What is your name? I said, Bernd. Do you know what it means? Something with a bear? Yeah, you're the bear slayer. Dove, Dubi. Dove Ben Abraham. Take it, it's free. Then he asked me, what do you want to do now? I said, I want to go to Israel. Why? I said, I want to give something back. I said, what do you want to give back? I cannot give back money because I have no money. I'm, I'm a young physician, so I don't have much to offer either. But I want to join the army and fight and give my life if necessary. And he said, this is a crazy idea. Well, I applied to the German, uh, to the Israeli embassy in Germany, in Bonn at that time, to the Jewish agency in Sochnut in Frankfurt, and within 30 days I was recognized, according to the law of return. But we had a shortage of immigrants, because it went really fast. And on the 6th of January 1987, I took a one-way ticket from Frankfurt to Tel Aviv and left Germany forever. The night before, I said goodbye to Richard, uh, Itzhak, goodbye to others, friends of mine. And Itzhak told me, look, if you do you intend to say goodbye to your parents? No. Do you know that the Jew, now that he bought the whole package, has to honor his parents regardless who they are? 
I said, I don't know. I said, well, I tried. I tried to visit my mother. My mother was crying. She knew what was going on. My father didn't allow me to come into the house. He was drunk. He yelling and screaming. And the next day, I traveled to Israel. I was assigned to a kibbutz. I learned the language. Uh, six months later, I went, was assigned to a hospital in downtown Tel Aviv, Ichelov at that time, to get my German license up to Israeli par. And then one month later, I was drafted into the military because I gave up my German citizenship and wanted to become immediately an Israeli with all the necessary obligations. I did basic training. Um, I did officer's course. And then I was dispatched to the, a place which called Beit El. It's next to Ramallah. And it was the first Intifada, October 1988, Arab uprising, starting in, in, in Ramallah. And we all, for about 50, 40 to 50 soldiers, we were squeezed between the city of Ramallah and the settlement in Beit El. And we were in between. We got hit by each side. We were in full battle gear. On a roll call in the morning when I arrived, the commanding officer already said, we need to be alert. Bad things can happen. Everybody must be able to to do what I tell him to do. And by the way, this is your doctor. His name is, I have to change his name. Name is, call him Dov. Dr. Dov. And I stood there in full battle gear at my, it was a lieutenant uniform, a lieutenant with lieutenant ranks. I had my gun loaded, pistol loaded, cartridges. We were equipped for World War Three. And I asked myself, if they find out that I'm a Nazi son of a Nazi in drag, I mean, they will kick me out of here. I cannot, how, who can believe this story? And I decided not to talk about it. Of course, a huge, huge problem. I literally threw my life in a virtual closet, slammed the door shut and turned the key in the lock and tried to throw the key away. And for all those who wanted to know about me, I told them the truth. I'm from Germany. My name is Bernd Odov. I made Aliyah. I'm in the army and that's it. Well, these other details I omitted. Until, of course, my son Tal asked me the simple questions years later. Dad, who is my grandfather? And I told him the truth. And my son, oh, that's cool. Let me tell my friends. Do not tell your friends. Going to a Jewish school and tell them that your father, grandfather was a Nazi is probably not a good idea. Well, to my luck, my luck, literally, three or four weeks later, they had a family history day in school. And everybody talked about their family coming from the house of David and hundreds of generations of rabbis. And my son raised his right hand and said, and my grandfather was a famous Nazi. It was a little problem. And I got called to the school. And the principal said, look, uh, Dr. Walschläger, you're a respected member of our community. Your son told us a verdrehte Geschichte that your father was a Nazi. I mean, what drugs does he smoke? And my son doesn't smoke any drug. I needed to get him out of the hotline. It was me. I told him the story of our family. And the rabbi who joined us, are you sure that this is, that you don't want to talk about it? Yeah, you will. Come with me. It's good for the neshama, good for the soul. And so for the first time in the school, I talked about my life and something happened that the rabbi predicted. The weight was lifted off my shoulders and I asked myself the question, why did I never close the circle of life? I have to continue living by making closure in of this part of my life, which is still open. So my son and I, we traveled to Germany in the winter of 2003. I visited my parents in the place and knew that, that they were residing the graveyard, both were dead. And ironically, and that is not atypical for Jewish communities in the in the 19th, 18th century in Germany and Bavaria, they were living together with non-Jews in the countryside and they're burying the dead on the same uh, in the same graveyard, divided by a wall. And so my parents' grave is one row parallel to the wall, 
separating the Jewish from the Christian cemetery. When you see Jewish gravestones almost defiantly casting a shadow to the other side. And I told my son, this is, this is your grandparents' grave. I don't know what to tell you, but they still in death even are in, residing in the shadow of history. They never stepped out of the shadow. I stepped out, looked back, and made a commitment as a young German. I will make everything happen that it will never happen again. We cannot let that happen again. And as such attitude I'm, I have, I share my story, not because I'm a cool guy. I have enough ego left without it. But to tell people one person can make a difference if this one person is committed to make a difference. Don't judge any person from any ethnic or religious group for what the entire group has done. Find out how you can create relationship with the individuals. Because as individuals, we are a lot the same. We don't belong to tribes. We belong to the human mankind and womankind, so to say. And we need to learn to talk to each other. Take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth and listen to each other. This is my message. And of course, I also got the message that my father and Bobby never wanted to share with me that hatred is not this dark matter of the universe that we uh, that we cannot explore. No, hatred is something that we create by words, using words of hatred. And if these words of hatred left unchallenged, they fall on the fertile ground on the mind of others, sprouting into deeds. And if these deeds prevail, habits will form. If you don't counter the habits, then a convention, then char- characters will arise and will th- thrive on this on this hate speech. And if these char- characters prevail, they will set social norms. And these social norms make it normal that you can kill other people, harm other people. The Germans killed new. For them, it was okay to kill Jews. They knew everybody knew what happened to the Jews. But the norms that were created from a simple word to the horrendous uh, what happened later, that was a single word that of hatred which made its way to, to, towards the history. We have to stop hating each other. It's very easy to hate each other, to demonize somebody. First, we de-individualize them, Apron and Sarah. Then we get, Jews don't have a, a name. Then we depersonalize them. These are not human beings. And then demonize them, ready to kill them. That we have to stop. We have a world with enough conflict and we have enough time, hopefully time left to enjoy our lives. And even when we preserve our, stand up to our opinions, that's okay. But listen to others too. That's the message that I send. And as a last sentence, when I tell people, against all odds, change is possible. So make it, make it happen. Dr. Volschlager, so I will, I will say this. Um, we have lots of fantastic guests on this show. Um, and I'm not saying this to be a gushing person, but you are, you know, my new greatest hero. <laughs> so I have a, I have a cu- kind of question okay. comment. And this is something that Yitzhak Rosenberg asked you. You know, they say that God doesn't give a person more than they can handle, but it seems like God dumped a hundred lives on you to overcome so many things in your life. So moving past, once you decide that you want to find more about Jews, first you said, I'm going to go to Israel. Well, you could have ended it right there because instead of hopping on a plane, it took you four days to get there, going from this train to that train to, to, to uh, a hitchhiking to a ferry, and then you come back, and then you you meet with this these Jews, and then you're a Shabbos guy. And, and every step along the way, you could have said, you know what? I like these people. I want to remain friends with them. And I understand from what you just said in reading your book that when you said the Kaddish, that was like the turning point for you. But before you got there, there were so many hurdles in your way 
that you could have said, you know what? I love the Jewish people. I'm sorry what the, Ger- the Germans did, but I'm going to be a good guy and I'm always going to be friends with the Jews. Why did you keep going? Because I felt a deep-rooted commitment that I have to do something. If not, not because I wanted to be special, but for me personally, that I could not live my, continue living my life in a way that, that I left it before because I found so many things out that shocked me and specifically shocked me because it was happened with my father, in the, done by my father. And it was, you have only one father in the, in the world. And if this father is not accessible and not there anymore, you you find other avenues to live your life with value system that you have to recreate because my father, the only value system that I learned from him, or most of it, was hatred. Hatred. Bail. But I actually, if you asked me this question about going on, mm. I remember I was in a in one of it was in it was in September two nineteen ninety when the month before Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, uh, war was in Iraq, was definitely in the in the books, and we were mobilized reserve duty. I was just two months out of the army in a regular service. I was recalled into the army, and we stationed at the border to Syria, Lebanon, and Israel in this triangle, a little bit north, south from the uh, Sea of Galilee, the Kinneret. And uh, we... We knew that this is an entry point for terrorists coming from the other side, specifically from the Syrian side. And every night we had some haligali, we call it. The, first of all, the Jordanian office, Jordanian called our commanding officer and said, we have a suspicious movement. Can you, t- they're coming to your border. We, we will, we will hunt them, but you, you take them. So there was a, there was a cooperation and every night we was something else. So we were to- exhausted. One one night, you were actually with no calls, and one of my soldiers, we were both in the reserve duty, looked at me and said, "You know, I heard that you never. I suspect that you were not born as a Jew." I said, "Well, you're right." So you became Jewish? Yeah. Are you crazy? And then you came to Israel voluntarily on Aliyah, as a guy who became a Jew. Are you uber crazy? And then the. Th- then you fight with us and risk your life. You're crazy. You're one of us. We're all crazy. So I joined the, the, Isra- the Israeli mentality and uh, I fell in love with, with, with my country and I, I defended it. That is my country and always will be my country. Dr. Uh, Walschlager, you've been speaking in front of uh, Jewish groups worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, not just about your personal history, but uh, to confront the ways hatred is confronted. Can you share a bit about your ideas? My ideas about fighting hatred? Yeah. I have I have actually I made it a point uh, to talk to people that we normally don't talk. Palestinians, I have quite a few good friends. And um to understand how they tick and they understand how I tick. And um I make it a point to listen. Sometimes it's very, very difficult because the, the some of the ideas are horrendous. Uh, for example, I was in the meeting that was in the early eighties, uh, uh, in the early, in the late eighties, um, with the, in an Arab village in Israel. And, uh, I, I was obviously the only non-Jew in that room. There were like 30 or 40, uh, Palestinian young men. And, uh, and I told them my story. And they said, you became a Jew to serve the world. To, to, you, you're not our friend anymore. I said, look, if we don't talk to each other, we're doomed to die together. 
And if, if it's difficult, we need to talk. We need to communicate. And I don't agree with everything that you say. For example, well, Dolph is your name. You, the, the Germans did so many good things like killing the Jews. That's great. So we don't have to kill that so many afterwards. We take care of the rest. I said, well, let me tell you one thing. You're Semites. I'm a Semite. We joined the Semite tribe. Hitler was an anti-Semite, so you will be on the next train track, on the track, train to Auschwitz too. And they looked at me. Well, I never looked at it like that, but Israelis are Nazis. They're not Nazis. So, I mean, it sounds like a trivial conversation, but made it, making it a point to, to talk in, of course, safe environment. God forbid, unsafe. It is easier to hate than to talk. And you don't have to agree at all with what the other side says. And I, for example, denying uh, Israel the, the right to exist. I said, if you deny a country the right to exist, why should we de- give you the right to uh, run your country, have a country for you? And then sometimes I bring up the point, which is in conversation. I'm actually very like you. I'm a refugee. My mother was ex- evicted from her home in Sudetenland. I'm the first generation of refugee. They didn't put me into swallowing this, this dirty, infect, infested camps that you that you sent your refugees. We were integrated in German society because what you lost in war, you lost. And that didn't go well, this argument, but they, they pondered the question, so you're a refugee too. Yeah, I'm a refugee. And I have the same right to, get, to claim my home, which you do, but it ain't going to happen because the war happened and the only thing what you can do is living together trying to make the best out of it. So conversations, as, as difficult as it is, one should also take in consideration that Israel is the only country in the world that make an effort to integrate and live together with non-Jews, i.e. Arabs. 20% of our population are Muslims. And Israel it's difficult. It is the blocks on the road. There are setbacks, but we talk to each other. Actually, uh, uh, um, Sunni Arabs from some of the villages uh, serve in Israeli army. Bedouin serve in Israeli army. Druze serve in Israeli army. I was in the first, in the second Lebanon war in 2006. In the first units that came that breached the border and got, were with Druze units, and one Druze man uh, officer died. And was uh, on the field, and we visited his family. In a Jews, and we, I made it a point to say, you're very loyal to to the state of Israel, and that you sacrifice your son for the state, makes me feel that that I belong to you and you belong to us. And so right. be you deal with mensch. Of course, there's also the dark side. But uh, make a long, short answer, a long winding answer, long short question, long winding answer. Talk to each other. Try. Dr. Volschlag, I want to go back to when you were younger and you make your first trip to Israel. And so, again, I know you went, you were on a journey, a spiritual journey, and you also, you spent time with Vered's family, the family that, uh, the Jewish family that you fell in love with. And then you went and met with your friend Khalid, uh, who was in Ramallah, and you spoke about how his family also took you and embraced you. You went to the Kotel and you met a Kabbalist on your way out who, uh, you know, grabbed you and spoke to you about your neshama, and then you go back home to Germany. Can you tell me, how did you process everything that, I mean, you, you did in, in four or five days what people don't do in a month? So how did you process um, all that when you got back home? Well, I'm always a curious, and I've always be a curious person. That's number one. And I always ask question why. 
And until I get the answer, I, I have to find the answer myself. So I'm driven, not necessarily because that I'm manic, but I'm driven by the truth. And of, obviously, I'm also driven to clean my soul from what, being my father's son. Because my father was a murderer. That was clear, clear cut. I actually, just about two years ago, and I was two and a half, three years ago, and I was in Bamberg giving lectures, a, the military historian that worked with me showed up at one of the lectures and brought with him a, it's attaché suitcase, this metal attaché suitcase, and he said, this is for you. I said, what is a bomb? I said, no, it's not a bomb. Mm-hmm. And we opened the attaché suitcase and inside were ripped pieces of Torah scrolls wrapped in newspaper. I said, what is that? Well, Bernd, this is when your father's late tank mechanic died in, in, uh, in Germany just a few years ago. His family wanted the son of the commander, me, to have this. And I said, what does it mean? I said, well, when your father's units maraudered the countryside and killed people and then specifically in Jewish villages, in Jewish city, small villages, they burned down the synagogue, but before that, they took out the Torah scrolls, soaked them in water, this parchment, congested very well, was soaked with water, was a perfect isolating material, insulating material for German tanks in a cold Russian winter. So my father not only flagrantly violated all rules of war, he also knew exactly what happened and what is doing. My father was directly and indirectly involved, and until I find my, my peace, I, and I found it, I'm moving forward to find the truth. Okay. Bela, if you not, you have another question? One, one last question. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Walschleiger, um, has your mission had any impact on your career as a doctor? Yes and no. Actually, I became a doctor because, to be very honest, I wanted to be independent. And that was one point. I knew that uh, I wanted to have a profession that allows me to practice literally everywhere if, if licensed. Um, but I also want to be a doctor in order to give something and participate in in, in Israel in, in research, which I, which I did and I'm doing. Um, yeah, that was definitely influenced by that. I, I, even if I would have been a, an economist, I probably would do the same thing. But mm-hmm. I chose in my mentality to be a doctor. Therefore, um, and I'm sure that is influenced by by my moral the development of new morals and ethical behaviors. And, uh, that I found so typically reflected in a book from Aristoteles, um, and books like the, the Shulchan Aruch from Rabbi Karo, which describes that one, even intellectual person, specifically intellectual person, has to abide by ro- roles and be a model for others. I never had a problem declaring that I'm a Jew, um, because it would, uh, I never encountered, what well, I encountered in my practice lately, uh, some, Remarks like, oh, you people only are for the money, or when people see my masseuse at the doors and pictures of Israel, are you one of those Jews? Well, needless to say, they're in the wrong place. We, but I'm fighting now the unfortunately thriving anti-Semitism by talk, talking to people that we cannot go back to this hate speech because we are the canary in the coal mine, Jews. And when the canary dies, you will die too. Right. Okay. Okay. Dr. Walschlager, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Definitive Wrap and for Thank all you. that you are doing, being the voice for the over 6 million victims who were forever silenced. Thank you to our audience for tuning in, and I urge everyone to buy the book, A German Life Against All Odds, Change is Possible. 
thank you to vidnews.com for hosting our show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.